Good morning. As Peter said, we're reading from Matthew 5, verse 38. Easy to find, the first book of the New Testament. Okay. You've heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you, only greet, if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We uh, thank you for your word and pray now that as we come to consider it, that uh, you would open our minds and our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On June 17th, 2015, uh, some Christians were gathered in their church one evening. They were having a Bible study group, uh, much like what we do on Wednesday nights here, when a young man, a stranger to them, uh, walked in off the street and uh, asked if he could join them in their Bible study. Uh, these uh, African-American uh, Christians very warmly uh, welcomed him into their Bible study group. And then as they were studying the Bible together, he pulled out a gun and shot and killed nine of them, then calmly left the building and drove away. Uh, he was a white supremacist who hated black people. How would we respond? How would we react if that were to happen to us? Uh, he was arrested the next day and two days later was in court. It was a bond hearing and under the laws of the state the uh, victim's family members were uh, invited to uh, speak to him face to face and tell him exactly what they thought. That's an interesting situation, isn't it? Uh, and the grief was very raw. And if someone were to stare him in the eye and say, damn you, you rot in hell, you, I don't know that there'd be too many people who'd blame them. But instead, overwhelmingly, their message to him was three words. I forgive you. Uh, one lady whose mother had been slaughtered, she said, and I quote, I just want you to know I forgive you. I'll never be able to talk to her again or hold her again but I forgive you, 
have mercy on your soul. The minister of the church lost his wife. But I forgive you, he said. My family forgives you. Take this opportunity to repent. Repent, confess, and give your life to the one who matters the most, to Christ, so he can change it. I've watched and listened uh, to all of their statements and no doubt, although they expressed verbally in their minds and verbally they expressed uh, forgiveness, uh, it would still take a long time for them to process that in their hearts. Uh, They were still in shock. It was two days after the massacre of what one woman described as, quote, the most beautiful people I've ever known. Now, this is a pretty heavy example of forgiveness, um, obviously. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very stark uh, illustration, an example, a case study of forgiveness, which helps us to reflect on how we respond when someone does wrong to us. How do we react? Because our natural response is that of revenge, isn't it? Um, that, that's how I want to, want to respond. I think that, that's, that's the sort of thing that comes naturally, but it takes actually restraint not to seek revenge. And so Jesus, in the, this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, deals with this matter. So uh, whilst you're turning that up in your Bibles, let me say that sometimes we might talk about a person and say that a a person's a pretty good person, they're the kind of person who will always go the extra mile. We use that in our language, don't we? Of a good person who always goes the extra mile. And it's from these verses that that saying comes from. But I think as we'll see, we're not quite using that phrase the same way that Jesus uh, uses the phrase. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48, what Jesus does is he, he takes the teaching of the rabbis of his day and exposes how, um, how wrong and how incomplete uh, their teaching is. And So we see in verse 38, he says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Now, uh, in the book of Exodus, the Ten Commandments, they kind of, distilled the the principles of the law there's like a summary of God's law but after Exodus 20 uh, the, uh, uh, the the law of God provides a case a case law examples of specific crimes and specific punishments which would apply to those crimes and it was this Uh, this legal code uh, by which Israel was governed. Indeed, as we saw in the book of Judges recently, that uh, uh, Israel had judges and it was uh, this code that judges such as Deborah and Barak and Samson and uh, and so on would have judged Israel. So, for example, in Exodus chapter 21, if two men were, were fighting and one man was uh, and something bad happened someone was injured 
then the penalty would be life for life. Uh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, uh, foot for foot. You, you, you get the message, don't you? Uh, it, it's that it, the penalty was to fit the crime. Now, over time, the application of this code meant that, uh, that the penalty changed so that victims could be financially compensated instead, except, of course, in the case of death. However, the intent of the law was to, was to define justice, to say these things are wrong, and to specify the punishment... And in so doing, you, you therefore don't have to have a debate about what the punishment's going to be, but more than that, it actually sets a limit on the punishment as well. So that the, the punishment could not exceed the actual crime that was committed. And therefore, the law restrained revenge. It restrained revenge and feuds and so on. Yet what we see here is that by the time of Jesus, an eye for an eye was not being viewed as kind of like the upper limit. Uh, it was being viewed more like a right. Um, that, so that, uh, you know, if you wrong me, I'll make sure that exactly the same thing is, gets done to you. You wrong me, I'll make sure that they throw the book at you. So that it's moved from being, it's less about justice being meted out and it's moved more towards me satisfying my hatred for you by making sure that they throw the book at you. And so that's what's going on here. And this is what Jesus' audience had been hearing. So in verse 39, what does he do? Well, he takes it and turns it upside down, doesn't he? he? He says the exact opposite. In verse 39, he says, Do not resist an evil person. And then he gives four examples. Have a look at the first one in verse 39. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, um, you might be left-handed. Some people are left-handed. Uh, most people are right-handed. And so if you're right-handed and you strike someone on the right cheek... Uh, what kind of a slap is that? It's a backhanded slap, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. You can, you, can you picture that in your mind? If you're right-handed, you hit. You know, it's, got, it's got to be a backhanded slap. And, and so, in first-century uh, culture, Middle Eastern culture, that was actually an insult. It's a way of insulting someone. You give them the backhanded slap. It's not like punching them in the face. It's an insult. And so. Uh, it's, that being the case, the retaliation uh, is not just to be non-physical, non but it's about not returning an insult for an insult. And I think this actually makes the application of this a bit harder, doesn't it? Because when someone insults you, what's your natural response? Well, you think of how you're going to insult them back, don't you? And some of us can be pretty clever at that as well. You know, that's, but that's easy. You know it's harder? Uh, 
restraint, uh, to, to keep your mouth shut, to let an insult just, just drift past you so that you can proact rather than react, to turn the other cheek, as it were. That's much harder. Uh, verse 40, he says, If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, we might read, say, shirt into that, let him have your cloak or your jacket as well. So this envisages someone going off to the, to the judge's bench and they want to sue you. They want the judge to order you to, uh, to give them your shirt, <laughs> right? To take the shirt off your back. Now, uh, it is highly unlikely that a first century Jew would not only take off his tunic but also give his cloak to the person as well at the magistrate's bench because he'd have to walk home in his loincloths, his underdacks. But you get the point, don't you? You get the point of what Jesus is saying, that you actually you, you, you give your enemy more than what he's actually asking, more than what he wants. We see this again in verse 41. Uh, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Here's that saying that we use, isn't it? That uh, this person goes the extra mile. But I said we misuse it because we talk about a person who just, you know, does you, a, you, know, you ask for a favour and they'll just go and do more for you. In the first century, Roman soldiers would actually commandeer people. They would force people people who they were oppressing, uh, they would force people to carry things for them. There is an example of that for us in the Gospels, isn't there? Who is it? Simon of Cyrene, just minding his own business, and the soldiers forced him to carry the cross of Christ. So there's an example of this. But more regularly, it was carrying uh, the luggage of the military, and there was a prescribed one Roman mile uh, that uh, it would be carried for. And who'd want to do that? Who'd want to carry the luggage of the oppressing army? I mean, if you did it, uh, you would do so begrudgingly. You would hate the fact that you're doing it. You would despise that. And you'd, you'd do your one mile and you'd say, that's it. Well, Jesus says, offer to take it two miles. Do the unexpected. Do, the, do, do that which is extraordinary. You know, offer your coat as well as your tunic. Offer two miles when only one is required because when you do that, you baffle your, en your enemy. Your enemy doesn't know, how, how do I respond to that? How, how do I react? And we know from other parts of the Bible, in Proverbs and in Romans, that uh, it may actually be like heaping burning hot coals on their head, which is a nice way of saying actually shaming the person to actually into repentance, humbling them and causing them to want to repent. For what it means is that God's people will be known as being 
different to the world when we behave like this. We don't stand on our rights. We actually give generously. Or in verse 42, we see this in the sense that uh, we don't turn away the person who needs money, but we are generous towards them instead. Verse 42, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Many years ago, I was uh, enjoying a coffee with a group of ministers. We're at a meeting, we're all dressed up in our suits and ties and we were at a coffee shop, it was an outdoor coffee shop and a man approached us. He looked like he was quite poor, looked like he was homeless and he said, could you spare me a couple of dollars? One of the ministers spoke to him sternly and told him to, told him to go away. Uh, he's, he's not in ministry anymore. Uh, uh, but, but I sat there and I said nothing. To, to my great shame, I just sat there. I didn't, I didn't react. I, I, I should have pulled out my wallet. I should have given the guy some money. You know, I'm so encouraged, though, when I hear of people amongst our congregation who talk about uh, when you're in that situation where uh, you actually stop and talk to the person and, and just find out how they're going. And you may not want to give them cash, but I hear examples of people saying, I, I, I said to him, I, I'll, I'll take him into McDonald's and I'll buy him a hamburger, put some food in his stomach to help the guy. And this is, this is what Jesus is talking about here that we're not those who, who just stand on our rights and find any excuse not to be helpful, uh, that we're not those who turn, go, go, go onto the other side of the street to avoid the person, that we actually do the unexpected. We, do, we go and actually help the person. And in so doing, we are more like light and salt. And it doesn't take much to do that. Now, of course, it doesn't always end up the way that we would hope. And sometimes our efforts would be wasted and we feel that our dollars that we've given have been wasted. I know that. But what is the alternative? We need to be different. We need to be salt. We need to be light. We need to be those who help. Now... When Jesus says, do not resist an evil person, I think it's helpful to clarify that this does not mean that Christians should be doormats. You know what I mean by doormat? Uh, because there are times when it is right for us to resist the evil person. Um, Jesus himself resisted the religious authorities. He challenged the religious authorities. He exposed them. Jesus himself uh, overturned the money changers' tables in the, in the temple court. And we are told throughout the scriptures that Christians are to oppose uh, false teachers. Uh, we are to stand up for the oppressed. Uh, men are to defend their wives. Parents are to defend their children with force if necessary. 
Nor is, this a pas- a ba- nor is this passage a basis for pacifism, as some people over the years have claimed that it is. Um, there are many times uh, when we need our military to act for the sake of that which is right. Uh, just one example, I remember back in 1999, uh, when after the East Timorese independence referendum when exiting Indonesian soldiers wreaked wreaked havoc in that land, that they were going to do as much damage and kill as many people as they possibly could on their way out. And they butchered people without restraint. Do you remember that? You remember that? And as the government here was, was working overtime to try to get put together a United Nations uh, force, I prayed fervently that the Interfet force would arrive and would put an end to the slaughter. And uh, under the terms of that particular United Nations, mission, United Nations mission, although not every soldier was armed, they did actually have access to, to the gun, if necessary. It was the right thing to do, wasn't it? Standing up to resisting an evil person. And throughout history, there have been Christians that have been placed in that situation, uh, where uh, in Nazi Germany, there were Christians, particularly those in the German military, evangelical Christians, who made the decision that they were going to stand up and resist the evil person and uh, conspired to kill Hitler. Uh, They lost their lives in the process, but it was the right thing to do. So I'm saying here that this is not a basis for pacifism, nor is it a basis for Christians being doormats, but it's actually about not seeking revenge. It's about what's going on in our hearts. As God's people, when someone does us wrong, we are to respond not with vengeance but with unexpected grace. That's the point. But we will do so with love for the person, with love for others, and with love for society. So that sometimes love uh, will involve um, resisting the evil person and upholding justice but we do it differently. The Christians who offered forgiveness to that man did so in a court of law. They knew that he was actually going to be put on trial and sentenced. But in that context, they were also able to offer him forgiveness. Uh, Recently, someone said to me, a person who I don't know if they're a Christian or not, but they said to me that Christians in Australia, that we do not stand up for ourselves enough that when Christians are ridiculed and insulted and vilified in the media, uh, this person told me that the the Christians really should fight back. But yet, when non-Christians ridicule us, aren't they doing exactly what the Bible teaches us we should expect to happen? Aren't they... They're just being non-Christians, <laughs> people who are, who are in darkness. And, 
And our goal is not to retaliate and to score points and to gain the upper hand. Our, our goal ought to be to extend to them the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. That God's love would be shown to them through us. Uh, which means that there'll be times when we just stay quiet, turn the other cheek. Mind you, uh, when society is doing things which are actually harmful for other people and harmful for, for, for our society, as, Christians, as Christian citizens, we've got a responsibility to speak up on those occasions for the sake of other people, for the sake of our society, but not because we're defending ourselves, because we're being vilified as Christians in that retaliatory way. And that's hard. But check out verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. Now this is what the rabbis taught, but is it what God's word taught? No way. No way. Uh, Leviticus 19 verse 18 says, love your neighbour as yourself. Did you notice that the rabbis have deleted the as yourself business? And that is a very important deletion because the as yourself kind of defines what loving your neighbour is going to look like. <laughs> right? It's expansive love. It's the kind of love, it's the kind of way you would want to be treated. But they've, they've narrowed down the definition of love by deleting the term as yourself. As also they have added to hate your enemy. I <laughs> uh, don't think that comes from God's word. I think that that's, they've said, well, if, you, if you've got to love your neighbour, then the natural, <clears throat> the, what's the word, corollary, the necessary implication of that is that you hate your... That's no, 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 that's not what God's word says. In fact, in God's law, your enemy is also your neighbour. So there are plenty of examples throughout the Old Testament in the law where if something bad happens to your enemy, so for example, he, his, his oxen wanders away and they're lost and you're having to find them, what do you do? You take them back to your place? No, you return them to your enemy. You do good for him. In Proverbs it says if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? If, he, if, he's, if he's thirsty, what do you do? You give him something to drink, and Paul picks that up in Romans as well. In other words, loving your enemy is that which we find in the Old Covenant. This is a way in which Israel was to be a light to the nations. But why love your enemy? Jesus gives two reasons. Firstly, in verse 45, there are countless people in our world who live their lives ignoring God, even hating God. But you know what? God grants his blessing of sunshine. He showers his blessing of rain on them as much as he does on us because God's love 
His common grace is indiscriminate. God loves the unlovely. God loves all people because he's gracious. You know what? Jesus says here, if we're like that, then we're being sons of God. That is, if God is our father, then we actually need to bear the family likeness and to love our enemy as well as our friends. We are to love, not as man loves, but to love as God loves. Because in verse 46, if we only love people who love us, you know, if, if, you know, if you love your mum and dad, or if you love your, your kids or your grandkids, if you love your friends, then whoopee-doo. <laughs> I mean, Jesus says, even the tax collectors do that. And in his day, they, they, they were considered to be the low people in society because they were traders. They were, they were getting filthy rich out of working as agents for the Romans in taxing their own people. You know, no one is going to say, wow, what a fantastically different person you are if you love your family and your friends. But if you love your enemy, then that is extraordinary. That is extraordinary. Uh, when we respond to the person who has betrayed us, or has hurt us and we respond to them with love, we are astonishingly different. And that is so easy to say, it's really hard to do, isn't it? It's not easy because, and we all, many of us here know that, and sometimes the scars are very, very deep. But when we reflect on God's love for us in Christ, then that helps a lot, doesn't it? That whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It means that we can, we can pray for that person. We can pray for their well-being. We can pray, if necessary, for their salvation. And you may be in this situation even now that there's someone... Uh, in your life who you need to be praying for, someone who you're carrying uh, grief about that relationship and what they've done to you. Can I encourage you to pray that God would give you an opportunity to love that person, that God would open up that situation whereby you can do something for them which is unexpected, which is extraordinarily gracious and which will show to them some of God's love flowing through you. When we start praying like that, then we can expect things to change. That is, we repay evil not with evil, but with good. 
The forgiveness which those African-American Christians offered was, was like that, wasn't it? It was radical, it was unexpected, and it was powerful. I, I, I've seen the news reports and experienced court reporters who were sitting there in the courtroom that day were, were deeply moved by it. It was so out of the box. Hadn't seen that before. And people around the world took notice as well because these ordinary Christians who were just minding their own business in a Bible study group found themselves in a situation of being significantly tested but they were being salty. They were being light. They were shining God's light into a world which is so darkened by revenge. Now, uh, I would love to say that the young gunman was, was just so overwhelmed by God's love that he, his heart melted, that he uh, turned to Christ and sought forgiveness and that he's living as a Christian now. But I can't. This is not one of those stories. I can't say where he's at exactly right at this point in time in terms of his views on God. But six weeks after forgiveness was offered, he wrote this in his prison journal, and I quote, I would like to make it crystal clear, I do not regret what I did. I'm not sorry. I have not shed a tear for the innocent people I killed. He said that knowing that he was probably going to be sentenced to death. We can't control the response of the person who does us wrong. But we can control our response to them. And be like Jesus who when they beat him, when they mocked him, when they spat on him, that he didn't retaliate, did he? Instead, as we're told in 1 Peter, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And we are to be like Jesus, who when the soldiers hammered the nails through the flesh of his wrist onto the timber of the cross was actually heard praying for, for the forgiveness of the soldiers who were doing that to him. Father, forgive them, he said, for they know not what they do. And interestingly, the Roman centurion, after he died, said, surely this man was the son of God. And we're told that uh, in the weeks that followed, many priests actually turned to the Lord and put their faith in him. We can control our response because we know that Jesus, he did that for us. And so just as God has loved us, so too should we love our enemies. Let's pray. Father, we are astounded by your graciousness and your mercy towards us that 
uh, even though we were your enemies, that Christ died for us. And Father, now that we, we're your friends, we, we look forward to our lives lived with you forever. Father, we just pray that in whatever difficult circumstances we're in with relationships of people who've harmed us, that by your grace, by your working within us, that we would be able to extend love and forgiveness and do acts of love towards them that they might actually see uh, you in us and that they might actually uh, be attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ themselves and that you would be glorified through us as we reflect your character. In Jesus' name, amen.